All right, we're in a series called Ideal Family, and today's topic is the echo. And when I mention the word family, most of us are going to talk about our spouse, our kids, maybe our grandkids, siblings maybe, uh, maybe parents, but that's about it. We think immediate family. But in most of the world, other parts of the world, when you say family, they think generations. They think grandparents and great-grandparents. And I always interest when I find somebody that lives around here that says, hey, I, my family's been in Boonesboro, Smithsburg for like five generations. Well, normally we don't think that way. Reason we need to think about family is this. You and I are who we are because of the family you came from before, before us, before you and I. Uh, I. One thing I mentioned is our family, we speak loudly. I didn't tell you the backstory about that. My dad was in World War II, and he was in artillery, and he lost part of his hearing. And so, he didn't hear very well. So my mom always spoke loudly to him, especially on the phone. She would speak really loud, uh, so he could hear. And so we have a tradition of speaking loudly. In other families, you have softer tones. But we all are, in part, who we are because of the families we grew up in. Um, we didn't go to church until I was a teenager. Uh, nobody in my grandparents or great-grandparents went to church. We were the first in that family line to go to church and become Jesus followers. And so my kids have become Jesus followers and my grandkids, most of them are Jesus followers. Uh, but that was changed uh, with our generation, my family's generation. So our ancestors are shaping us and you are shaping your descendants. <clears throat> I talked about my, uh, my grandmother a little bit on, on Friday morning. Um, she came to live with us after my dad died. And I, I'm the oldest of five kids, and I kind of was her favorite, I think. My sister's here. Uh, the reason I know that is she bought me a stereo. She didn't buy the other four kids a stereo. <laughs> and so I, I, I was her favorite. Now, we're going to talk about favorites being dysfunctional and causing dysfunction in our family. And if you're not here, my sister's nodding. So I, I got that accurate. Uh, <clears throat> so we shouldn't have favorites, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Uh, one relative I got to thinking about since the Friday was I had a great Aunt Thelma. I didn't know my grandparents on my dad, uh, mom's side, but I did have a great Aunt Thelma. It was always cool going to visit her in upstate New York, sometimes just for hours. Because she had money. <laughs> we didn't have money, but she had money. So she had a really nice house, and we'd eat on China. We didn't know anything about eating on China, except for when we went to Great Aunt Thelma's house. So that was a neat memory, or should I say, a snapshot. When we think of these different relatives, we have a snapshot from, from something that we remember. <clears throat> and so we need to think, uh, we are making snapshots for future generations, children and grandchildren. So all our families are in process. And what our parents and grandparents have done affect us and what we do affects our kids and our grandkids. One of the things I hope and pray that my kids and grandkids have learned from me is to trust God. To put their faith in God and to trust Him. As we're going to see in a character in, in Scripture that He trusted God even when things didn't look like very good. Didn't look like God was being faithful or taking care of him. Now we said the Old Testament doesn't have a lot of good family examples. And even the family we're going to look at this morning, 
uh, overall, it wasn't a good example, but some good things uh, happened, some good lessons we can learn. But it's, part of it is teaching us the power of generational parenting. And so we're going to look at maybe the most famous family in world history, <laughs> and that's the family of Abraham. The reason I say that is Abraham was the father of, of the Arab nation. He's the father of the Jewish nation, and as Christians, he's one of our heroes of faith. So we're not going to look at the whole lineage, but we're going to look at Abraham's promised son, who was Isaac. And Isaac had twin children, Jacob and Esau. And then Jacob wound up having 12 children. And we're going to focus on child number 11 for several reasons. But one reason was Joseph was Jacob's favorite child because he was the child of his favorite wife. Now, we don't have multiple wives, but they had multiple wives. He had a favorite wife, and he had a favorite child, and a lot of the dysfunction and problems resulted from this favoritism. Um, So we're going to look at Joseph. And Joseph was number 11, but favorite. So he was hated by his brothers because uh, he was, had a special favor of his dad, even though he was child 11. Now, <clears throat> uh, Esau was the first child of, Jake, uh, of Isaac. And so consequently, he got the birthright, which means he got twice as much as other children. So if there's just Jacob and Esau, Esau would get twice as much as as Jacob. It also meant that he got the family blessing, which meant he got to be the the judge, the ruler, the lawmaker for the the family, for the clan. So that's going to come into play here in a minute. But Jacob would ask his favorite son, (laughs) Joseph, to go out and check on his Ten older siblings, and evidently sometimes they weren't where they're supposed to be. As if you read the story in Genesis, they weren't, and maybe they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. And and I got the feeling that maybe Jacob was the tattletale in the family, and he'd run home to dad and tell on his on his siblings. So as you pick up the story, his his brothers hate him so much that he 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 shows up one day, probably about seventeen years old, and uh, they say, "Let's just get rid of him." We hate him. He doesn't do anything good. He just tattles on us. And so let's just kill him. And long story short, they finally decide just to, just to sell him into slavery. Now, as we follow the story of Joseph, uh, some of you know this story. So I'm going to ask you to do two things. Try and involve more of your senses, like smell. Uh, we can't smell what's going on. And then also the concept of time. Uh, years will go by and, and we'll go from, you know, one, one event to, to the next. Also remember the, just try and envision the emotional, how emotional these events would have been in uh, Joseph's life. <clears throat> so his brothers hate him, they wanted to kill him, but they sell him into slavery. So now he's gone from the, the, the favorite to a wealthy man, favorite child, to now no future at all. 
He doesn't know if he's going to survive. If he survives, he's going to be a slave. And probably had slaves in his family, so he knew the life of a slave wasn't a very pleasant life. And so he's in this caravan. They don't take showers or baths every day or ever. And he didn't get lots of food to eat or choice of food to eat. He just got enough food to get by. And no hope. His future life is over as far uh, emotionally. I'm sure Joseph is thinking at this point. So, one of the amazing things about Joseph is this. He decided to live his life as if God was with him. And I just add on to that, even though it didn't look like it was. (laughs) If God is with you, don't lose being your favorite son to a wealthy man to becoming a slave, do you? This doesn't happen (laughs) if God is with you. But he still lived his life that way. He still did what was right when doing what right didn't seem to benefit him. So if you read this story, and some of you know it, uh, Joseph winds up in Egypt. He is bought by a pretty important guy in, in Pharaoh's household, uh, guard uh, named Potiphar. And so time goes by. <laughs> in fact, about seven years go by. So he's no longer 17, he's more like 24, and he's risen to, to be head slave. <laughs> he's still slave, but he's head slave in Potiphar's household. He's put ahead of, uh, of his business. Unfortunately for Joseph, he caught the eye of Potiphar's wife. And as my wife would say, he was a handsome young man. And so she tried to seduce him, and he kept pushing her away. He, he said this to her, he said, I can't do this because it would both dishonor my master who put me in charge and dishonor my God who <laughs> has let me become a slave. Now, <clears throat> we have to understand something about slaves. You never said no to your master or master's wife, did you? So this was huge that he would even say no to her, knowing that most possibly nothing good could come from it. One day she catches him at home up alone and uh, grabs a hold of him and he runs off and she has his piece of his clothing. Uh, Potiphar comes home and he says, this Hebrew uh, tried to rape me. Of course, it wasn't true, but Potiphar becomes angry, of course, and gets Joseph thrown into the dungeon. He's he's now a, a prisoner. So, it's bad enough to be a slave it's bad to be a, in a dungeon. But can you imagine being a slave in a dungeon? Uh, regular people didn't have any rights in a dungeon, much less slaves. So this is Joseph's predicament at about age 24. Again, he chooses to do uh, what was right, to live as if God is with him, and he raises to the ranks, if you can call it that, in the dungeon, And he becomes a favorite to the warden. In fact, let me read you a verse. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison. Well, if the God's with you, you're not in a prison. I mean, that's normal thinking. And he showed him his faithful love. Well, it doesn't seem very loving to be in prison. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. So maybe he got some some perks. I don't know. He's still a slave in prison. So here's the tension. Life is horrible for this young man, Joseph. 
Yet God is with him and God is showing his faithful love. And Joseph is living with that tension. God, it doesn't seem like you are, but I'm still being faithful to you. And so I'm going to ask you a question and I want you to hang on to that till the end of the teaching this morning. Where did Joseph get that kind of faith? Where did that come from? Hold on to that. So the story goes on. This couple guys wind up in a prison that are part of Pharaoh's uh, posse, of <laughs> surround, people surrounding him, a cupbearer and a baker. Uh, they both have these dreams and don't know what they mean, and I, I guess they're asking around, and Joseph's volunteers say, I, can, I think I can tell you what that means. And so we'll, we'll just focus on the cupbearer. The cupbearer, he says to the cupbearer, oh, that's a good dream. In a couple of days, you're going to be returned to your position as cupbearer to the king. He says, but I don't deserve to be here in jail. I was, uh, uh, I was lied about. I didn't, didn't try and rape Potiphar's wife. And so I've interpreted this dream for you. Remember me when you get out of prison. And the guy says, sure, I'll remember you. Of course, he gets restored and completely forgets about Joseph. Uh, this is five years into his prison stay, and two more years pass. So he's been in a prison for about seven years. The Pharaoh has a dream. Nobody can interpret it. And so the cupbearer says, ah, I think I... Hey, Pharaoh, um, don't want to go back to when you threw me in prison, but, but when I was in their prison and uh, you weren't thinking very highly of me, I came across this guy who could interpret dreams. Maybe he can interpret your dream. His name's Joseph. So I picture some guards going into the prison saying, where's Joseph? Who's Joseph? Now, if I'm Joseph, I'm thinking, am I going to, you know, is this a good thing or a bad thing uh, being pointed out? But evidently he said, I, I, I'm Joseph, or somebody else told him it was Joseph. So they clean him up, take him before the most powerful person in the world in his day. He goes from being in a prison to being standing before the most powerful person in the world. And uh, Pharaoh says something to him. Very interesting. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night. No one can tell me what it means, but I've heard that you hear about dreams. You, but you hear about dreams, you can interpret it. Now, if I'm Joseph, I'm saying, sure, sure, tell me the dream. But that's not what Joseph says. Notice what he says. He said, it's beyond my power to do this, Pharaoh. I, I, I can't interpret your dreams. But God. Now, I want you to focus on this, these two words today and maybe forever, especially reading Scripture. Whenever you come across the phrase, but God, it's huge. So he says, I can't interpret this dream, but God, my God, the one true God, because Pharaoh was considered a God, <laughs> can tell you what it means and set you at ease. And so he tells in a dream, he interprets a dream, he says, um, Pharaoh, <clears throat> good news, bad news. Seven years, things are going to be great, economy's going to be great, but then there's going to be seven horrible years of famines. And then he does something very interesting. Remember, he's a slave talking to the most powerful person in the world. He said, by the way, Pharaoh, I got a suggestion for you. <laughs> My suggestion is that you, Pharaoh, find the wisest man and put him in charge of this nationwide program. You should store up grain for these seven good years, build silos, charge the people a 25% tax, and you store it all up. And then during the seven 
famine years, you can feed the people, they'll survive, plus you'll become enormously wealthy. He was probably already wealthy, but, you know, enormously wealthy. <laughs> and the Pharaoh says, ah, I think that's a good idea. In fact, since you came up with this great idea, I'm going to think I'm going to put you in charge. Now, if you are his part of the uh, uh, leaders around Pharaoh, what do you think at this point? This is a Hebrew slave that you've known for 20 minutes, and you're going to put him in charge? In fact, he put him ahead of everybody but himself. How amazing is that? That's a but God thing, right? <laughs> Go from slave to the second most powerful person in the world. So, <clears throat> that's the situation, and we're going to fast forward another uh, seven, eight, nine years, okay? The seven prosperous years, and we're two years into the famine. And Joseph is living a pretty good life, I'm assuming, at this point. But one day, Jacob, back in Israel, they're, they're, his family's starving, he sends the ten sons, or ten oldest sons, to Egypt to get food. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. So Joseph was governor of all Egypt, in charge of selling grain to all the people. It was to him that his brothers came. And when they arrived, they bowed before him. I, by the way, he told them this dream he had. They called him a dreamer, because he told his dream that one day, you guys are going to bow down to me. Of course, that went over big, <laughs> right, as older brothers. But this is, actually comes true. They bow down before him. Uh, well, didn't finish reading it. Uh, and Joseph recognized his brothers instantly. No, that's right. I was reading from the notes. But <clears throat> um, so they arrived, and they bowed down to him. Next slide. And it's been about 22 years. Let's see, 7, 14, and 9. Yeah, about 22 years since they've seen each other, right? Uh, they don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. So what do you think he's feeling? What do you think he's remembering when he sees these 20, 10, 10, 10 brothers, 10 siblings? I think the emotion comes back, right? These are the guys that hated me. These are the guys that wanted to kill me. These are the guys that laughed at me and made fun of me and, and eventually sold me into slavery. Now, I don't know about you, but I know what I would be thinking, and I know what I'd want to do, and it wouldn't be very nice. But somehow, Joseph remembers something from his childhood, and he connects the dots. So let's go back to his childhood, back to Isaac and uh, two children, Jacob and Esau. Again, Esau was the older. Now, one day Esau is out hunting and he doesn't have any success and he comes home. Now, Esau was kind of the daddy's guy, son. He was the, the hunt, hunter, you know, man's man. And he was dad's favorite. <laughs> and uh, Jacob was mom's favorite. He was kind of the, the mama's boy and he cooked. And anyway, Esau comes home, he's starving. Jacob's cooking some stew, and it smells terrific. And Esau says, hey, you need to give me some of that stew. And now the younger son doesn't usually have much, you know, leverage with an older uh, brother. But he has some leverage now. And he did something that people we see do today. We kind of shoot for the moon, right? 
not expecting to get it necessarily. The baseball players are doing this. They want to play over 100 games yet this season. The owners only want to play 50. It's probably going to wind up somewhere in the middle, but that's kind of how we do things. Well, that's kind of Esau. <laughs> Jacob's doing that with Esau. He said, okay, well, um, uh, what I really would like is your birthright. You know, you, you're going to get twi twice the inheritance I am. Uh, how about trading that for the stew? Not thinking, obviously, he was going to do this. But Esau is a teenager probably, young man, and he's not thinking all that about the future. Uh, what does that matter? I'm starving now. I'm still going to get a great inheritance. Yeah, let's make the swap. So he gets the birthright, meaning he's going to get double the, uh, the inheritance, at least double the inheritance. <clears throat> time goes by. Isaac's getting old. It's time to pass on, we call the blessing, the who's going to be the judge, who's going to be the ruler in the family. And so he tells Esau, hey, go out and, and, and kill my, and, and mix my, fix my favorite meal, and I'm going to give you the family blessing. So he's out hunting. <laughs> Jacob's uh, mom, him being her favorite, she wants him to get the blessing. So he says, hey, let's trick your dad, my husband. Dysfunctional family, right? And so they prepare a meal to make it taste like the food that um, he, uh, Jacob's, uh, Isaac's waiting for, excuse me. And <clears throat> they say, but, but mom, my hair's not, my skin's not hairy like Esau's. Well, we'll put some, some skin on you. I don't sound like him. Well, kind of disguise your voice. So he goes in anyway, and long story short, he gives the blessing to Jacob. Well, how do you think that's going to go over with his big brother, Esau? So Esau comes in, he finds out Jacob's got his blessing, and he's furious. And so we'll pick the story up here in Genesis 27. From that time on, Esau hated Jacob. Makes sense, right? <laughs> because their father had given Jacob the blessing, and Esau began to scheme. I will soon be mourning my father's death. It's not going to hang on much longer. Then I'll kill my brother Jacob. Then I'll get my blessing that I deserve, and I'll even get my birthright back. Jacob finds out about this. Of course, he's scared to death, and his mom says, hey, you need to run away. Spare your life. So he runs away to his uncle, Laban, and quickly falls in love with one of his daughters, uh, works for seven years to marry her. <laughs> he winds up getting married to the older daughter, Leah. He gets a, the younger daughter, uh, <clears throat> But he has to work another seven years. He gets it right away, but he has to work another seven years. And then he works six years to get his wealth, his, his, his uh, <clears throat> flocks. And so 20 years later, he's a prosperous man with lots of children, and it's just not enough space for them to all have, to have their, their flocks. And so... Scripture will pick up the story in chapter 31. It says, The Lord said to Jacob, Return to, you've got to leave, got to go somewhere, turn to the land of your fathers and grandfathers, father, and to your relatives there, and I will be with you. Now, where's he going? He's going where his older brother is. He's going where Esau is. And I could imagine the stories that his, his uh, 
wives and his children heard about Esau, right? Uh, over those 20 years, he would have told them about how he bargained him out of his birthright and how he cheated him out of his blessing and how he hated me and he wanted to kill me. And so, and during this time, <laughs> Jacob winds up with, well, we'll call them wives, four wives. Leah had children. <clears throat> Rebecca couldn't have children. So Rebecca says, hey, use my handmaid to have children. And then Leah stopped having children. She said, use my handmaid. And eventually Rebecca has a child. So Jacob would come home. Uh, uh, I mean, I, um, Esau, uh, Jacob, excuse me, Jacob and Esau. Jacob would come home at night and uh, ladies, I guess, would decide who would sleep with that night. I think he complained too much. I don't know. But he was sleeping with four different women. He's got these 10, 11 children by four different ladies. And so I'm sure he told all these, these, these women and these kids all these stories about it. And they're saying, we're going back there? Uh, he's probably going to kill you, Dad, and he might kill us. But God told him to go, and so Jacob did what? He went. So, let me read you to, to you about the meeting. This is in chapter 33. Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming with his four hundred men, not 400 family members and slaves, 400 men, a small army. Jacob's got what? His family and slaves. That's all he has. 400 men, an army. So he comes up with this plan. <laughs> I don't know what I would do, what you would do in this situation. He divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and his two servant wives. Now here we go about favors, right? Who do you put first? Who do you think he put first? Servant wives and their kids. So not only were their wives less favorite, <laughs> I'm assuming the kids were less favorite. Then he put Leah and her kids next. And then, of course, came who? Last. Rachel and Joseph. Joseph's the only child mentioned by name, right? Favorite. Then Jacob went ahead. Kind of like in a caravan. Jacob went ahead, and as he approached his brother, he bowed to the ground seven times before him. Now, I don't think it was seven times in a row. I think he bowed when he was 100 yards away. He bowed when he was 70 yards away, when he was 50 yards away, when he was 20 yards away, and when he was 10 yards away, and then when he got right before him, he bowed before him. So at this point, Jacob's family and his heritage are what? In the hands of Esau, right? Esau could kill them all, or he could spare them all. So what happens? Well, amazing thing happens. Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. The last thing I'm sure Jacob expected. And they both wept. And when they cleared the tears from their eyes, then Esau looked at the woman and children and asked, who are these people with you? He didn't know who they were. These are children God has graciously given to me, your servant, Jacob replied. And so then they come. First the servant wives come. For with the children, they bow before Esau. Next came Leah and her children, and they bowed before him. And finally, Joseph 
I said Rebecca, Rachel, excuse me, uh, came forward and bowed before him. So now, with his brother, Jacob's future in his hands, Esau chooses to forgive him, to spare him. Now, Joseph is probably 10, 12 years old, 8 years old at this time. Do you think that had an impact on him? He'd heard their stories all his life about Esau hating me and wanting to kill me, and now he comes face to face with his uncle Esau for the first time, and what's Esau do? He spares his family. So we're going to fast forward to when Joseph is ruler in Egypt with this in mind. Joseph chose to do what was done to him. Esau could have killed him, his dad, his mom, his whole family member. He chose to show mercy to him. So what does Joseph do to his brothers? He gives them a little hard time for a while, I think. But then he does what? He says, I'm, he, he, he lets them know. He says, I am your brother. And they hug and they kiss and they cry. And there's a family reunion. Eventually his whole family comes and lives in Egypt. But eventually, uh, Jacob dies. His name's been changed to Israel. The nation of Israel is named after him. Um, he dies, and the brother began to concern, well, maybe Jacob just spared our lives until our father dies, and now he's going to get even. And so, maybe the most famous verse, or one of the most famous verses in the book of Genesis is this. Um, the brothers lie and say, your dad said to spare us. <laughs> he said... Uh, you don't need to worry. You intended to harm me, obviously. But God, remember that phrase, but God intended it all for good. In fact, He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of millions, many, many people, maybe millions of people. So here's the lesson, bottom line for you and I. What can we learn from Joseph's and Esau's relationship? Your descendants, in this case Jacob, will never forget what you do when doing the right thing is difficult. You think it was difficult for Esau to forgive Jacob? Put yourself in his shoes. Sure, it was difficult. Esau gets a bad rap sometimes. He did a godly thing. He did a forgiveness thing that we see in Joseph and we see down his lineage until, of course, the most important person in his line, Jesus Christ, who forgives you and I. So let's make application to family. Dads, you dads out there, I'm a dad. What if your sons are taking their cues from you? or your grandsons? What are they taking the cues from you? How to treat their spouse if they have a spouse? How to treat their kids? How they treat their parents if you still have your parents? What if they're taking the cues from you? And moms, same question. What if your daughters and your granddaughters and your nieces if you don't have 
daughters of your own. What if they're taking their cues from you? Joseph got his cue from his uncle Esau. So even as an aunt or uncle, you can have influence on family members. See, actions don't merely speak louder than words. We all know that. They echo into the next generation and the next generation. So I'm going to leave you with this question. What does that mean for you and I? What should you and I do differently? Realizing that my actions are echoing for generations to come. What should I start doing that maybe I haven't been doing? Maybe spending more time with my grandkids in my case. Um, what should I stop doing? What a uh, negative example am I setting that I shouldn't be setting? So I'm going to leave you with that questions. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning. I want to pray with you and pray for you and pray for our nation. And then hopefully you can join us again next week when we start a new series. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this amazing, well, this whole huge story. And this amazing guy by the name of Joseph who lived his life in a way that was honoring to you even though it didn't seem like you were being faithful to him. He was faithful to you. What an example to us. And uh, we thank you for Esau's forgiveness, his mercy he, sh he showed to, um, well, his brother Jacob and his whole family. Otherwise, the whole history of Judaism would have been altered. And God, we, we all have influence, whether we have spouses and kids and grandkids or not. We probably have siblings, and so we have nieces and nephews, and, and it goes on and on. So God, I, I pray we take seriously <laughs> the message we're sending with our actions, especially in difficult times, and we're going through difficult times now. Are we rising to the level of doing what's right instead of what's easy? I pray that we are. Of course, first and foremost is our relationship to you, God. We pray that we have a relationship with you. And anyone watching that doesn't, we pray today would be the day that you receive God's gift of mercy. See, God doesn't deserve to spare you or I to give us, forgive us of our sin, but he shows us mercy and grace, sent his son Jesus to die for us and offers us that gift. <clears throat> and we too can re be recipients, as Joseph was, to Esau's uh, graciousness and mercy. Then we too can live in a way that honors God. Uh, it's going to take some soul searching. Uh, we can't change the past. Uh, I, we pray that we can <laughs> do better in the future. Uh, we can't reach the ideal, but hopefully healthy families, not dysfunctional families that has favorites, but healthy families. God, we thank you so much again for the opportunity to share your word and just do what you want with this uh, message, this teaching. And we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.